Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the show. This episode is all about writing. Essays, novels, poems, and even commercial copyright. My guest is Robert Dean. He is now based out of Austin, Texas, but he's originally from Chicago, where he departed for New Orleans to kick off his writing career. There, he started to really learn his craft, getting to experience failure that prepared him for when he would later get what he calls his day job. Since then, his work has appeared in Mike, Fatherly, Forbes, Consequence of Sound, The Austin American Statesman, and many more. During our chat, we discuss his influences, past projects, upcoming projects, getting published, and advice for anyone that may want to be a writer. We also discuss the importance of living and the importance of failure. A writer that's never been out in the world tends to have hollow words if they can ever find them at all. I can attest to that, as I'm likely to read about an experience rather than live it. This frequently results in me staring at a blank page trying to figure out how to fill it. The best cure for writer's block is having experiences to share or observations of others that can be slipped into your writing. Even if it has to be creatively tailored to your own story, at least the experience is real, including the human motivation behind the actions. Neil Gaiman refers to this as the compost heap. Your life experiences and interactions you've observed go here, to coalesce until you need them. Another takeaway echoes the sentiments of Stephen Pressfield. Do the work. Write every day. No one else will do it for you. Not all of it will be good, but the more you write, the more you will become acquainted with your voice. Ladies and gentlemen, episode 7 of The Job in Detail with Robert Dean. I am Robert Dean, and what I do is I am a journalist and writer and raconteur and enlightened dumbass. <laughs> Can you uh, set, shed some light on that for me? Uh, I write for magazines, newspapers, websites. I have a couple of books published. I have a couple more books coming out. I had a TV show we were pitching and getting really close on and now is on hold because of the coronavirus. I do copywriting work. I have done pretty much every writing job known to man that is willing to pay me to do it. I've done everything just short of writing the fucking phone book at this point. Can I swear? Oh yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, I've done just about everything you can name it in the world of writing. I've done it. I'm pretty much a hoe for hire at this point, but, and it, in a nutshell, if you got some words, I'll write them. So copywriting, fiction, nonfiction, columns, all that kind of stuff. You write yep. for a lot of different things. Do you have a preference between them? Uh, my favorite stuff to do is essays and to do op-eds. Those are my favorite. But I'll do hardcore investigative journalism if there's a story and an editor wants to like get in the nitty-gritty and figure the story out. I did a story for Mike uh, right before Christmas about the oil pipelines, like the, the border wall was coming up down on the, the Rio Grande river down here in Texas. And we had figured out, I started working with this tribe, the Carrizo Camuto tribe. I'm very tapped into indigenous people and I'm a strong ardent supporter of the American Indian movement. And, um, I'd met Juan who's in charge of the Texas chapter of it. And he told me, he's like, dude, you got to come down to the border. You got to come and see, the way that they're building this fucking wall. It makes no sense. It's literally a hodgepodge of shit. It's the worst thing ever. And so I got down there and then he showed me that essentially the border wall was just this broken up thing, but it was really just a front for an oil pipeline for them to put down in Brownsville at the tip where Texas meets Mexico. And so I did this entire huge story that we thought was going to be a huge deal because we proved it. We worked with the tribe and we had all the records. We did all the shit. And given that 2020 is a fucking hot nightmare, um, the story just kind of got lost in the shuffle, but had any other year on earth, it would have been a huge deal and people would have been talking about it. But because when Donald Trump is your president, every day is a new nightmare. So, but yeah, I've done that. And then I've written a bunch of essays for fatherly, um, I've got a new one coming out for Cle with Cleaver and Blade, and there's just a bunch over the years. But pretty much where it's gone is I like talking about life experience and kind of how I see the world through my lens. 
I just I've, like luckily have been afforded that opportunity. But I mean, I'm wide open to lots of different things. How often are you getting to write what you want to your words versus somebody else's? Uh, I mean, I do my own stuff probably once a week. I mean, I have a very, I'm a psycho. I'm always writing. I'm always writing and I'm always working on stuff. And I have anxiety and depression. So I, I value, like my mental health stays in check by how much writing I can get done or can I do this thing because I attach self-worth to what I can get done. So I should have been in a different, you know, decade I would have been a columnist where you're just banging a new column out a day, every like four or five days a week. That would have made me happy. But unfortunately, just columnists aren't what they used to be. And so getting one today is really tough. When you're writing every day, is it something that's just coming to you? Or do you have days where you have to sit down and kind of force it out? Oh, you have days where you got to force it out. I mean, like when, you, when you've been writing as long as I have, I've been writing for like 20 years. And, um, it, it's like being a plumber. You got to get through it. It's to put the work in, figure it out and unclog, unclog that drain. It's, there are days when there's nothing in the tank, man. There is nothing in the tank. And if you got a deadline and you got to get it out, you got to get it out. And there, there was a time during the pandemic when my depression was out of control. I mean, I, I don't think that anybody's not had a brief moment of, what does it all mean during this? And I had a bad episode and my writing was just dog shit. It was bad. Like I was not putting out anything that was good. I had like one or two hot streaks in the middle of it where I was really manic and I could bang something out and I did like one or two, but anything I did for like copywriting or day job stuff, it was rough. It was not good. And at like one point I looked at it and I was like, this is a person having a mental breakdown on paper. Do you think that came through for other people or is it just because you know you're writing so well? Oh, it was it was obvious. Maybe my boss was like, yo, this is, <laughs> you need to take a step back. And I was like, I know, I am not in a good place. Do you do any type of writing exercises or anything like that to try and unclog the drain, so to speak? Or yeah, you just have I your mean, own if, things that you've developed? Uh, sometimes, depending on what it is, I'll do some like, I'll look up some writing prompts and things like that if I'm working on I'm in the middle right now of working on my new book. It's called Lucky Fuck. It's basically like essays and stuff and putting together essays and coming up with what I want to talk about. You got to look at sometimes we'll get some prompts and jog the memory. So I've done a lot of shit and I've got a lot of hazy long nights where I'm like, oh yeah, that happened. And I'll look at the like, think of a time when this happened. And you're like, oh, yeah, okay, I can tie this into things. And it helps just to like, get something going. I don't really write much fiction anymore. I mean, I have in the past, and I think maybe 20. After I finish, I have a poetry book coming out, and I have the essay book coming out next year in 2021. After those are done, I'm going to go back to a novel that I had shelved for a while. I did like, I don't know, like 10 different drafts on it. And I've got all these like, agent notes and stuff. And I just put it aside and was like, I'm just not, he gave them to me in the beginning of the pandemic. And I was like, I'm not mentally equipped to deal with this right now. I've been working on this novel for like five years. And so I think like sometime in 2021 or maybe even 2022, I might pick it back up and try to address all these things. We'll see. But it just kind of, when you got to force it or you got to put in the work you kind of just have to because it's your job. I mean, for me, some some people are, you know, if it's a casual hobby and they're like, I'm just not feeling it today, but I'm not afforded that luxury. I have to get in and do it. You had mentioned copywriting as a day job type work. Uh, could you get into that more? What exactly is that compared to the essays and stuff you're writing? Um, so I basically have three forms of income. I, for in the daytime, I have like a steady copywriting gig, content management, where I work for a tech company and kind of bang out all their, their needs. And then whatever it is, if it's an ebook, if it's a blog, whatever that the business needs, I do it for them. And then I'll take freelance clients. I've done work for some of the biggest brands in the world as a freelancer. And uh, at one point I used to write for Apple and a bunch of different brands will come to me in different times. Like right now there is no freelance work, 
but pre-pandemic I'd pick up some pretty steady stuff and it was just good money to get through, but it's like writing website copy, their blogs, really whatever they need and do that on the side. And then my Robert Dean stuff as well. So it's kind of like all three are constantly, you know, anytime you look at my laptop, it could be one of the three 24 hours a day. And how'd you get into that? I was living in new Orleans and I left Chicago in 2007 or 2008 something like that it was my 27th birthday and i lived in new orleans and i was like 100 percent just writing and i was working in a bar on bourbon street and i was like basically i'd left chicago with 300 bucks in my pocket and was like i'm gonna be a fucking writer i had got my journalism degree and was kind of living on the margins and i'd worked at the chicago board of trade and i was writing in my spare time and when I got let go from that job because the market was changing uh, at like in the post Bush pre Obama time, I was like, fuck this. I'm moving to new Orleans and I'm going to do this thing. And I moved down there with 300 bucks and I managed to get a job on bourbon street and was an entertainer there. But I was doing that in writing and I ended up like writing. I had learned to be able to get in and I started writing for the magazines in town. I was like totally green not very good, but I just like slunk my way into like writing for offbeat, where you at anti-gravity and stuff. And then a dude I'd met was like, Hey, I build websites. Do you want to do the copy for it? And I had no idea what the fuck copy was. I was like, yeah, I'll write it. And I got to make all my mistakes. I made peanuts, but I was making shit money, but I was like making all my mistakes there. And so when me and my ex-wife decided we were moving to Austin where she's from eight years ago, um, I essentially just kept, I was, I had already been freelancing for so like a couple of years at that point. And so when I moved here, I had, I was capable. And so I knew how to copyright. I knew how to do all like the stuff that people would want me to pay. And so when I got here, I hit the ground running and I've actually not had a date, a job other than just writing for the last eight years. What kind of uh, mistakes were you making? What kind of things did you have to learn compared to what you were you learned with your journalism degree? Uh, copywriting is not like journalism. It's just fast, tight sentences. You got to listen to what the client wants. You have to be able to just set your ego aside. Cause I'd be like, no, this sounds like shit. Like, I don't want to write this. And then you just realize it's their fucking money. You know, however they want it to look, that's what they want. And you got to be able to compartmentalize what you think is best. Some people want what you think is best. Some people trust your judgment. And that's cool. But a lot of times some dude who's running a business or like some corporate dick is just like, nope, this is what we want. Give us this. And you're like, fine, you sign the check and you got to learn to let that go. But once you kind of learn the lingo and realize that like people are ultimately uh, not creative at all and they just want what sounds like their competitors because they want to be seen just like them. So like you can literally learn to copyright by copying other people's shit and you know a lot of people really like like it goes against my nature to write technical complicated stuff because i believe that writing like using words like robust like this is a robust solution you're like bro robust is a fucking coffee not a fucking tech solution and you know and like a tech solution i'm like dude you just solve shit like, it's like, say it like a human. And Apple was good for that because they wrote like two people. But, mm. you know, you get these people that just want hot dog shit for their what's on there. And you're like, that's fine with me. You're the one with the money. So you just got to learn to check your ego. And once you kind of get it, it takes like a year to learn to copyright. You get the basics. And after that first year, you just kind of, it's like anything else. You, the muscle memory just gets stronger and you can know what they want you're like cool you want a tight 800 words here fine what do you want to talk about sometimes you'll sit in a meeting and you're like wow okay i'll write that and you just move on now how did the copywriting translate or facilitate getting into your more personal work the stuff you wanted to do uh it, i mean it's just it afforded me a life you know mm -hmm. i love writing writing is my passion i'm a student of the game I'm always studying, always working to get better. I view my day job as a as a symbiotic thing. Is it I'm constantly practicing. You know, I can get in there and get in the cages and I always look at it like a a batter working on a swing of 
I'm always working to get better and to have tighter stuff. And so it just, it's one doesn't really have anything to do with the other, other than just constant practice and refinement and learning to deal with an editor is a different person than a, like a business leader because they have two completely different needs. What an editor will see will go, no, I don't want this. And an editor also knows that's in certain writing, you just need a couple of quick sentences to move a paragraph along versus like somebody who isn't as trained. They want every sentence to lose with importance. And you're like, dude, I'm just trying to move a fucking thing along. Now let's go back to college. You got a journalism degree. Where did you go? I went to the Chicago Center for Broadcasting and Journalism. It was like this tiny school that essentially taught us radio, TV, and a little bit of like basic news writing. And I thought I was going to get more writing than I did out of there, but it was fine. Essentially, I got a couple of internships out of it. And then once I got the internships, I was good because... To be a writer, dude, you just got to put in the work. You can teach somebody. It's like stand-up comedy. I can teach you the basics of what a joke is, or I can teach you how to write a, a formal essay, but until you the work is there and you've practiced, it's just not you, – you, some people can write and some people can't, you know? When you were in high school or even when you were younger, did you know you were going to be a writer then too? Yeah, I mean, I've pretty much wanted the same life since I was 17 years old. I was in a, a class. I'd had the inkling that I wanted to be a writer by like junior year. And I took it seriously because I'd ex always excelled. I'm terrible at math. Like I'm fucking terrible at math. Like I have no idea what five times six is. And, but I could always, I was so good at writing that in English that they kind of equaled, they equaled each other out. And despite the deficit in the one thing, English and writing were the only things I really had an interest in, in terms of school. And so by the time senior year rolled around, I'd gotten into this, like one of the harder English classes to get in. The teacher was super cool. Despite being the hardest class to get into, the teacher was completely like, let us watch like reefer madness and like would like talk to us about rock and roll stories. And he was super cool. And it was just laid back really rad dude. And I, came to him one day and was like, Hey, I really kind of want to take this serious. And I want to be a writer when I grow up. And he was like, well, try. And he's like, your writing is good. That's why you got into this class. And so I really put the wheels to it. And I did one essay about my grandmother who'd recently passed and I got an A plus on it. And he pulled me aside. He goes, that thing you talked about, you wanted to be a writer. He goes, look, dude, your classmates can't do that. He's like, what you just did is not what they can do. He's like, if you want to be a writer, you have the thing. And so that gave me the confidence. And from that day on, I just kind of went full bore. And at 39, I just haven't stopped. Is there uh, one writer in particular when you were younger that you think influenced you or has influenced your writing since? Yeah, I mean, I get Bukowski a lot just for the sake of, um, I was really into Charles Bukowski when I was like 19. And I'd read him, like I'd read a bunch of stuff up until that point, but it was like, I'd read the Lord of the Flies and I'd read, you know, some Star Wars novelizations and Stephen King and different things. And I was getting into the beats and I was getting into different political things. And then I just, my friend Brian got me into uh, Bukowski, shout out to Brian, owner of uh, Rocket Tattoos in Chicago. Uh, he got me into... Bukowski at like 18, 19 years old. And then I was like, oh shit, this is kind of like where my head's at. Because he was about like drinking and failure and being a fuck up and like a working class dude with like aimless ambition and all this other shit. That struck a chord with me. And so I just constantly kept reading him and then I devoured everything. And then that opened the door to like the beat generation and, oh, sorry, <laughs> excuse me. Um, it opened the door to Ginsburg and Kerouac. And then next thing I know, I'm like reading Hiroki Murakami books and everything. But Bukowski has always stayed with me. And so his work has always informed mine in the sense of like a brutal realness about where you are as a person. And so to this day, I still get um, comparisons. I don't like write like him, but you can feel his influence. And when you read my stuff. 
I've talked to some musicians and one of the things is, you know, they know who's influenced them. They can name different composers or artists, whatever that they can go through, but there's usually that one or two, maybe three that they always go back to, especially when they, the creative juices aren't necessarily flowing when they're trying to come up with something. Uh, do you find that that one writer, that Bukowski in your case is comes up, especially when you're, when you're kind of grasping at straws, trying to get something flowing? Yeah, for sure. I'm writing, I just signed a deal to, with Madness Heart Press for my first poetry collection. I've always wanted to do a poetry book. It's like a bucket list thing I've always wanted to do. And so I'm reading like right here in front of me, ironically, here's a Bukowski poetry book. Oh. <laughs> and I just like, I'll go through it and I'll just jog the memory of like, oh yeah, I hear like, and I'll, I'll read some Octavio Paz and E. Cummings and Burroughs and uh, Oscar Wilde and I'll dip into all these different places. But I will start there and it, it's always just like this thing, like I've read everything he's ever done and I don't like when somebody be listening, like, yeah, right. You read, no, I've read everything. I own it. And uh, I have two fucking Bukowski tattoos and shit. And I will just go back and it kind of like, it's like going back to visit an old friend to give you a pep talk and be like, Oh yeah. Okay. I remember this cadence. I remember this thing. Like I'll make it my own. I'll make it mine, but I'll look at it and go, Oh yeah, that's the thing that kind of will always, you know, that's the uh, battery to move the alternator in some senses. Like I don't, it's, I don't really do it for essays or fiction or nonfiction. It's just poetry. And then I'm like, Oh yeah, that's that thing. Like I love his other work and it's there. It's, uh, it's it, it, a vital DNA strand. But in that sense, I'll just pick a book up and run with it again. Do you ever have a hard time reading other people's work? Sometimes like looking at it from a technical standpoint, almost like uh, like a director having a hard time watching a movie because he's just picking out the, the flaws in it or something like that. Yeah. So I can read a book. I have a 50 page rule. You have 50 pages to get me. If I can't get to, if I'm struggling to get to 50, I, I put it down. There's too many books in the world to read. And I'm like, just ain't for me. And like, there's this book called uh, House of Leaves that a lot of people love. And I fucking hate that book. <laughs> fucking hate it. I, I couldn't read it. Like, I hate Chuck Palahniuk books too. Oh, okay. And a lot of people love the Fight Club and they love Survivor and Choke. I fucking hate him. I know for a fact he is like the best dude. I have friends that have worked with him. I have friends that have done things with him. And I know he's a great human being. I just don't like his books. And they're just not for me. And there's a lot of things like that. But I am at a place now where I read, but it's like my attention goes two ways. It depends on what it is. Like I'm reading this book. I have the, the poetry book right there, but I also have one um, right under it about Buddhism because I'm like a practicing Buddhist and I like, will always constantly be up in the ante of like what I'm reading and kind of where I'm at with all of that. Like I don't study that, but like if I'm reading an essay collection, if I'm reading like David Sedaris or Samantha Irby or Chuck Klosterman or reading any kind of essays or memoirs or something that I, or like fiction, even stuff like that, my brain turns on. And just as I'm reading it, I'm also studying it and taking internal notes. I'm like, Oh, that's a cool riff. That's a cool like stylistic thing. I'm stealing that. And it's like, I will always be socking stuff away and I'll reread a line like five times. I'm like, oh, I like how they did that transition. And I'm like, file that in the shit I'm going to steal. And so it's constantly like that. It's, it's, and I can go in places like it's a curse to be at this point, honestly, because I'll be driving around and I'll see a sign. I'm like, that's a fucking error. Like, why don't they have a comma there? Like, what is this? <laughs> and it's, it's dude, it's a nightmare. And like, I'll see something. And uh, a friend of mine sent me a blog that, a company told him that like, Oh, we're going to feature you on our website and it's great. And he's like, will you edit this for me? And I like looked at it and I was like, Holy shit, this is a nightmare. I was like, how is this like a, a fucking powerful presence on the internet? And it was just dog shit. And I had to fix the whole thing. And it was so poorly written. Like even a, you know, like a first year writer would have been like, wow, there's some errors here. And <laughs> I had to fix that shit because I immediately I was like, do not put this on your website. Do you ever have somebody else take a look at uh, something like that when you're writing? Uh, oh. I've, I've looked at things where it's, I know there's something wrong with this, but I don't know where it is and where to start. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I have, uh, I have like three people that I really trust. My mentor, Jacob Nab was, um, he used to run a very successful independent press back in the day. And he is a phenomenal editor. He is my mentor. He's one of my best friends. And I run legitimately probably if he's got the time, I run 90% of every idea I've ever had. Like we started out as like people that had met on Facebook, like, I don't know, like 10 years ago or something. And he started out as like just a dude that I knew on Facebook that had run a press and that he was really good at his job. And then we became friends. And then like I'd asked him to read a book of mine and then he read the book. And then when I started working on a new book, I was like, Hey, will you edit this with me? And then I paid him to do it. And then, then after that we became like brothers. And so like now we're like best friends. Like he's like, if I get married again, you know, clearly you're in my wedding party, that level of tightness. Mm -hmm. Now we went from like, you know, that. And so him, my friend Foster Rudy, who is an, a phenomenal essayist, been in Washington post and New York times and all this, he'll give me uh, pointers on stuff. And then my friend Max Booth, who runs Perpetual Motion Machine, he's another one who's another person I can bounce ideas off of. Those are like my hard three. But beyond that, I try to keep it tight because you don't like, I'm not, there, there's like writers groups on the internet. And then there's like all these like little like retreats and people that like want to share their work and shit. I'm not against that. And I think that depending on where you're at in your career or like, with your hobby or whatever it is, that's fine. But I don't need some dude who's never done shit to tell me what's wrong when he doesn't know what the fuck is wrong with his own work. You know what I mean? Like the three people that I go to were all accomplished in different shit. Like Max Booth is fucking, he's got books out by Fangoria and Cemetery Dance and he signed like fucking, you know, production deals with Hollywood and shit. And like Foster has been in some of the best newspapers and magazines in the world. And Jacob is a fucking, he has his own like litany of fucking people he's discovered and helped grow their talents. Like I'm working with people that have a lot of really great insightful things, but I trust them to help me get to the next level versus in some things when you're like, well, you know, and I'm not anti those writers groups and stuff. I just, they're not where I'm at in my life. That's a really long-winded answer about that, but no, no, that's that's the whole point of this format, though, is that you could really flesh out uh, ideas, and you, even if you're thinking about the answer as you're kind of eschewing it. Now, there's some big names um, that have written on writing, like there's Stephen King with his book on writing. There's Pressfield, mm -hmm. who's who's written about it. Have you read any of those? Yeah, I've read on writing. Uh, do you agree with King's advice on some of the things on there? Where do you differ from it, or? No, I mean, generally his stuff is, I mean, he's Stephen King. He's clearly successful at it. And uh, I follow a lot of his stuff. Like, I don't use adverbs. I don't use any words that uh, end with L-Y. And if I do, it's very, very rare. I don't use, if you see me use an exclamation point, there's a reason. Like, his style guide is essentially like the backbone of a lot of work. And so I, you know, in Strunk and White, those are the things that, necessarily inform the work but it usually comes through practice and working with editors and being told you need to change this and here's why um i'm taking i'm thinking about i got to figure it out right now but i want to take a uh i want to take a class through my community college there's a um there's a teacher with some with some chops that's offering a class this year online and i'm like i should do this just to like constantly refine again like i said with the batting cage thing is I'm trying to be the best I can possibly be. And so I need to follow up on that now that I'm thinking about it. That's actually a really good point because you mentioned earlier, just for copywriting, you had to learn to set your ego aside. The fact that you learned to set your ego aside then seems to only make you better because there's a lot of people that be like, man, I'm, I'm 39. I've been doing this for a long time. It pays my bills. I don't need to, to go back to school for any more writing. I know what I'm doing. So the, Yeah, the, I mean... I don't think if you're a writer, if you get to the point that you say, I know what I'm doing, you're not, you don't know what you're doing. This, this business, this art form will constantly humble you. And there's always somebody that's bigger, meaner and faster with that's around the corner. And 
the only thing that writing will teach you is that the older you get, the better you get for sure. Because it's like a stand-up. How many fucking stand-ups? There are a handful of writers and comedians that you see that are good in their 20s. But for the most part, everyone that you love that writes or does comedy, they're in their mid-30s or they're in their early 40s. Because that's just how it works. You have to live, you have to fail, and you have to suck for a while. And if somebody has experience to help me get through to these places that I haven't been able to land, like I still want to be on Playboy and I want to be in the Atlantic. I've gotten, I've been in Forbes, Fatherly, Mike, uh, Texas Monthly, all that shit. I've got good bylines, but I want better ones and I want more. And so if there's somebody out there that can help me break through to that next level and change the game, why wouldn't I want to learn from them? Do you see um, any of the young kids coming out to you like, oh, this guy's going to be somebody or this gal's going to be somebody? Mm. I think Kelby Losak, who's a younger cat here in Texas, his stuff is really cool. It's like super gritty and gangster, and he's got his own style. It's almost like trap hip hop lyrics that from the from like South Texas Gulf. So that's a completely different thing. And uh, but beyond that, he's probably the one that sticks out the most is Kelby because Kelby's the youngest one I know, but he's definitely sets the tone for it. You have, um, not to change gears a little bit, you have some books on Amazon that I had seen. Are those through a traditional publisher or did you do those through Amazon publishing? No, I've always worked with publishers. Um, my first book came out called In the Arms of Nightmares. I'm not the most proud of it, but it's out. It was from a publisher called May December Publications. They are defunct now. And, uh, I'm really, really, really appreciative that they gave me the shot to put it out and they had the belief in it. And, but I look at it and I'm like, wow, this book is terrible. <laughs> like, there is a lot of errors and there's lots of shit that like should be fixed. And then the second book, the red seven came out through necro publications and that publisher is fantastic. Great fucking dude. And then my next one, is Lucky Fuck is coming out through Perpetual Motion Machine Press. And then my poetry collection is coming out through Madness Heart Press. I kind of have came to this place with the internet and with different shit with Big Five publishing. Like, would it be nice to be on a Big Five publisher? Sure, I would love a blank check or I would love to make any kind of money. But the agent game and all this other shit and I played it and I've got people that I talk to and everything else. And it's cool. I could play that game, but I always look at it as what are you necessarily, like, what is your end goal for being a writer and what are you willing to compromise on? And what do you, cause when you work with an indie, you know, you essentially get a say on your cover, you get all that you can work with some great editors and you get people who legitimately give a shit about your work when you get lost in the shuffle at big five, like I'd go to big five after I'm the one that can call the shots and be like, look, I got these books sold. Here's some numbers. I'm in a place where I can be a part of the conversation versus here's the thing that I wrote. And it goes off to the, into the machinations of that. And then I just have to hope for the best because most books that get released, the average book when it's sold to some, to an editor they only sell 500 copies of it nationwide. That's the average book sales. The big books will sell a shit ton, but all those little books, most bookstores like Barnes and Noble and your local retailer will have one copy. So essentially you're fighting an uphill battle and you get these big advances and you get this stuff. But if your books don't sell, you either you got that advance money, but you're essentially who's going to give you a shot after that. Like if they give you that $35,000, like, fuck yeah, I got 35 grand. That's awesome that you got that money. But if your book doesn't sell and you don't even sell 500 copies of it, who's going to give you a shot after that? Yeah, good luck getting another one. They're never going to do that. And so I always was like, why do I want to play that game when I'm done enough? Like my, the red seven sold almost 2000 copies. And that was on a tiny independent press and my social media stuff is getting bigger and bigger. 
And so it's like, if I get to be the one with the power, why would I want to compromise that when I could be the one to dictate the terms or the one to like have a seat at the table for how things are done or like be like, Hey man, instead of you putting all this money into me, why don't you take that money and put it into a budget to promote the thing, you know, and do that and like have a, a discussion versus just blindly taking money and being like, well, it's in Barnes and Noble. Thanks for the, thanks for all the fish. You know, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's a complicated thing, but I've been lucky enough to work with a lot of independent presses over the years. Now, do, do you have an agent currently or have you had one in the past when you said you played uh, that game? I did have an agent briefly a couple of years back and he was garbage and we, he just was not what, um, I had expected. And so I got out of that just as quickly as I got into it. He's just like a lawyer moonlighting, wanting to dip his toes mm. into that world and just didn't know what the fuck he was doing. And then I've got a guy I've been talking to on and off for years, for years. And I have notes for that novel and stuff that he's incredible. He's a great fucking agent. He has a great literary eye. But when I told him the direction that I wanted to go in with like doing more essays and doing stuff. He's like, look, dude, nobody's going to buy. No one is buying essay books unless you have a huge name or you're a celebrity. He's like, people just aren't buying those right now. And so I was like, but that's what my career is moving to. Like all of everything I sell are essays and stuff. Like I'm getting the bylines and I'm getting these opportunities to write for these big places and to break through. But what I can achieve in magazines and newspapers isn't translating to the book world. I was like, fuck that. There's independent presses that want me to do this with them. So it was like, go that way, you know? Yeah. Your uh, first book that you're not too proud of, when was that written in your career? That was, I had started writing it in 2011 and it was published in 2013. Okay. And for your, your kind of day job stuff, where were you at that point? Had you already gone to Texas? I don't really remember the timeline. Then. No, I was way, way deep in New Orleans at that okay. time. I was working on bourbon. So when you were working on that, though, were you kind of in it? You're like, this is it. This is what's going to put me on the map. I'm a, I'm a writer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I thought that book was hot shit. And it was like, I was reading all this, like, I was reading Hiroki Murakami. I was reading lots of Burroughs and like, it was a horror novel and it was, I was reading all this like existentialist literature. So there's like these dream sequences and like all this like inward dialogue and like, why is someone a serial killer? And like, I went down the rabbit hole on a lot of psychological shit. The premise in the story is not bad. It's just, if I went back like in the publisher Necro who I did, uh, the red seven with is like, dude, if you want to go back and do a second edition of this and like really go in there and change the book and like get in there, like this is the writer you are now. I think you would have a badass book here. And I'm not against that down the line, but it's the time of taking to like go and page one, rip the fucking spine out and just really get in there and do the work. I'd probably cut a hundred pages from it. Cause there's like, really long drawn out scenes that don't need to be like that. And I can see a lot of rookie mistakes. And so it's just, I'm a wiser writer now. And like having worked with so many good editors over the years, the place where I'm at now, I'd fucking whip that thing into shape. But it's like, do you want to go back and spend the time or do you want to just keep pushing forward to the new stuff? How did it, how did you receive it finding out that the, uh, the first book didn't do as well as you were hoping it would? You think this uh, is I mean, going to be the thing and it's going to make you and you go, oh, well, hmm. I, it's just, you just kind of roll with it. I mean, because at the time we didn't like Facebook and Instagram and everything wasn't what it is now. I mean, we're, you're talking almost 10 years, like eight years that that book came out. Eight, a lot of shit has changed in eight years in terms of like social media and branding and getting it out there. So it's like I had a Facebook, but most people weren't even on it yet, you know? and so it was how do you get the word out? And I was doing events and did some stuff, but podcasts didn't exist. You had to send physical copies, which I spent a shitload of money sending like physical books to like people. And then they get lost in the shuffle and everything else. And so I just took it as this book is good enough that somebody was willing to take a financial gamble on it. And 
that's a good sign because most first novels never get published. Mm. And so I just took it as you did this, learn from it, move on to the next thing. So I just did. I just kept going. You had talked about uh, being big on failure, getting basically uh, going with your passions. Failure is going to happen, learning to live with that. What was the uh, biggest failure you've had and how'd you, how did you learn to live with it? Um, I've had multiple failures over the years. Uh, I got divorced, but I, uh, lots of good things came from a divorce. I learned a lot about myself and I learned um, about what I need as a human. That was a big one. Um, getting fired from a job based on like underperforming for something that you were in way over your head for and knowing the entire time that you're in way over your head. Uh, you know, lots of different things is like learning from your failures is better than learning from your successes because you have a place to know what you did wrong or like to figure out how to do this thing better. And so that's been the constant mantra of my life is to push forward despite the scar tissue. And now the divorce was ultimately a great thing. I'm in a way better place. My ex and I are better friends than we were spouses and we're raising two great kids together and we see eye to eye on everything. And it was, it was the move to make. And with losing that job, I was wise and I learned a lot through it and getting rejected by editors constantly or not getting emails back just taught me it goes oh well this is that thing that i fucked up on i need to like tighten this up now and so constantly informing the work is important where you're at uh now in austin do you think that influences your writing or do you think you could be anywhere to uh to do what you do um i could be anywhere to do what i do for sure um is austin a place that i base anything no because this place is like very happy and green and people are comfortable and it's like it's not like the south side of Chicago where I grew up or living in New Orleans or even down in Galveston or like San Francisco and like hanging out in these places that have these very like gritty infrastructure. And Austin's not like that. Austin's an easy place to live. Austin's this great, I mean, I can go to the hills, I can go get tacos. I can be at the beach in two and a half hours down in Galveston. Uh, great music, great food. It's a comfortable place to live and it keeps me happy and there's so many cool people here doing great things. So take all those combined, it creates a, an easy life that I really love. I love living in Austin. But in terms of like, could I be anywhere in the world? Yeah, I could be in Vietnam and I could be cranking out what I do. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't. I was kind of thinking the Bukowski again because a lot of his stuff it was influenced in, in L.A. it seemed like. Yeah, no, he was an L.A. guy. But the thing about him is he lived in new orleans for a little bit and he kind of mm. like did the bus thing and he got he couldn't hang in new orleans and he had to go back to la that's the thing about bukowski is like he tried to like go to a couple of different writers places but ultimately he was just an la guy interesting so you've got the couple of books on the horizon things like that um why don't you tell me about the functioning on zero the the video you sure. did there uh, Functioning on Zero is a special I shot at the Lost Well. It was a tribute to Charles Bukowski's uh, Bukowski Reads Bukowski in 72. And the Lost Well was trying to raise money to like, you know, every bar, restaurant, music venue and comedy place is like struggling to stay alive because you'd think in an election year we would have given money to helping people, but we didn't. And so these places need to find interesting ways to keep people to keep the doors open. And so they were all, like selling effectively like a hundred dollars for four hours to come for bands to practice in there with full lights and a sound guy. And like, they'd keep like a bartender and like they could buy a couple of beers and stuff. And so I was like, well, I should do a reading from there and just copy Bukowski special. And so I was working on a TV show pre pandemic that was getting really close to you know, moving forward. And now everything is completely on ice, but all my TV people are just sitting around idle. And I was like, Hey, do you want to do this? And they're like, yeah, well, I'm not doing shit. And so everybody, we got together and we shot it and edited it. And I did the entire thing for under 300 bucks. And oh, wow. yeah, I, we did it and it looks cool. And my friends gave me all the music and 
we did it and it's stories about failure. It's stories. It's funny stories about drinking and what it's like to be a working writer. Do you think uh, the TV thing will still happen after the pandemic? I hope so. I mean, I looked at it as I did the special to constantly like build the brand and to keep moving forward, to keep my like stuff out there. And I hope that it'll still move forward. We have a great concept. We had a lot of interested people. I was supposed to go to CNN, Netflix, Hulu, all kinds of shit. And then it just stopped. So no one I know in TV, you're in LA. If you probably have TV and film friends, because it's just indicative of where you grew up. No one's working. Yeah. 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 So you're a hundred percent right. Doing this special yourself is the best way to do it. Just keep, keep on doing something at least because by the time things start to pick back up, it's, it's going to be gradual. It's not like everything's just going to be back like that. Yeah. And people are going to be real cautious about like with given political and social things. And what I was doing is very politically and social and culturally driven is, um, is, is a cool concept and we still hopefully will do it. It's just, I looked at it as, if I'm going to be existing in this world, I got to keep putting shit out. Do you think you'll do more specials in the future with um, other writers that uh, you like their work? So it's like maybe a handful of you guys are all doing readings that night, that kind of thing. Maybe I'm not against it. I'm kind of just seeing what happens with this one. And if there's a call or want for a part two or like a different thing, I would totally do it. It's just, we, it's just got to make sense for everybody. And the people shooting it and cutting it and stuff is like, what a, what a ultimately are we going to achieve with it? You know, like I just don't want to just do it for the sake of doing it. And then they're giving their sweat equity and I keep using those bullets. And when I have a really good idea or something important and they're like, Hey man, I can't do it this time. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm very cognizant of these are like the guy who shot me shot Anthony Bourdain. He shot Stevie Ray Vaughan. He's like literally one of the best camera guys in the business. And I don't want to burn that, you know, I love that dude. And I just want to always like not take for granted what his, what he can do for me because he's a great friend and a good dude. You've mentioned several people that um, have been really helpful and pivotal in your, your career. It seems like it's going on. How did you meet most of these people? I know you said the one guy you met through like a Facebook group, but yeah, um, he essentially, I mean, all of them, Essentially, I've just been through the road of life, man. I've been lucky enough. I have been, I can't state, uh, sorry, I can't overstate um, enough of how lucky I am that people care about me. I just, I, people have really been nice and they have been so cool that they just really believe in what I've been doing. And so all these different people have been like, no, get on board. And I don't take that for granted at all. Like people want to be a part of helping me get on my journey. And it's fucking cool, man. It's really, really cool that these people that have achieved so much more than I could ever dream of believe that I have something to offer the world. And so I just have collected these allies to help push it forward what would be your tips for any aspiring writers uh, that want to get into this field? Uh, Live, live honestly. Don't obsess too much, even though I know you will write every day, drink, get out there, make mistakes. You know, if you want to be in them streets, be in them streets, just get the work done. Let your life inform your work, you know, get out there and, meet interesting people, go to dive bars, have fucking sex in cars and make horrific mistakes, but let it be a part of who you are. Like don't lock yourself away and just live in a room and just read and write all day. And I'm saying that that's not a part of the process, but you got to be out there and you got to have life experience to inform the art because if you don't, who knows what the fuck you're missing out on because all the best work comes from people who have the scars. That's how comedians have stuff to talk about. That's how musicians kind of, they, they get in the room, but they're also out at the bar after practice, you know? So I always tell people is like, put the work in, read all the books, put the time in, but don't forget to go to the shows and don't forget to meet new people and get out there and like 
you have one life. You have to constantly push the narrative. You have to constantly be doing things and making every allowance you can to try that new restaurant or, you know, go to that bar that you said that you were going to go to, like do that shit because you don't know what you're going to get out of that experience. That's great advice for any field, not just writing, I think. <laughs> sure. Uh, it's uh, Look, we've been going for about an hour now. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add or, or throw out there or promote? Uh, no, Functioning on Zero, Robert Dean Live at the Lost Well. Just find me on Instagram or Facebook's the easiest place. And you join the conversation. I always am posting political shit because I write about politics and everything else too. And there's you can watch it and hopefully you'll like it enough to want to share and keep following along. But I always add when I finish these things off is if there's anything you can do for the world is just do something kind for somebody, you know, even if it's something small, if it's something big, that's up to you, but take a moment to just practice kindness and find a way to reconnect with your world. Because I think we could all use a small moment of sunshine. That's Great words. Well, I really appreciate the time. Uh, go take care of your kids and uh, like to follow up with you at some point, um, maybe after your stuff comes out, you know, the poetry and things like that. Yeah, anytime. Thank you so much for having me. I sincerely appreciate it. It's, I, it is not lost on me that you took an hour out of your day to want to talk to me about all of my random shit. So thank you so much. Well, I think people really, really like the info. I really do. So thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. Thank you again for listening, and I hope you have enjoyed this episode of the show. As always, if you like the show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and tell others about it. If you or someone you know would like to talk about your job, please reach out to me via the website, thejobindetail.com, Twitter at thejobindetail, or email, which is nick at thejobindetail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so through links at all the aforementioned spots as well. I have also included links to a bunch of Robert's stuff on the website and podcast description, but you can find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash robertdeansworld. That's all for me this week. Stay safe, everyone, and see you on the next episode.